Father, thank you. I praise you, God, that we can look in your word right now. God, your word is so good to us. And God, I praise you for it. I praise you for these Bibles. God, you are the resurrected Lord of all. And we're about to talk about it now. And I'm about to preach about this, God. Please help me. Help me, God, to do this in the ability that you supply. Be exalted, O oh God, in your own strength. And just let us sing and praise your power, God, as we look in your word about you as a resurrected Lord. God, I pray for every person here to grab hold and have moments of clarity and to grab hold of the truth and understand what it is that you have done, Lord. And God, also, beyond our understanding, I pray, God, that you, you would draw out affections for you, that you, Lord Jesus, would be loved as we look at your word and all the wonderful things that you've done. God, I pray that you stir up the hearts of every person here to love you more and to praise you and to worship you and to find great joy in you, God. I just pray that you would do that this morning. We need your help, God. Even this, Lord, we need your help. And unless you come and by your spirit you move among us, God, we, we just, it's just vain. So please come, Lord, and help us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so here's where we've been over the last few weeks. Uh, we looked at the birth of Jesus, the incarnation. We looked at the life of Jesus. Then we looked at the death of Jesus. And then today we're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus. And next week we'll dig into the ascension of Jesus on high. So that's kind of where we're at now, the resurrection. That's where we're headed next week, okay? Um, <clears throat> on your sheet there where it says resurrection defined, I just want to start off by saying a few things to define what I mean when I say Jesus rose, okay? So let's kind of get into that. And like I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, the main place we're going to be today is in Matthew 28. Uh, but we're gonna, I'm just going to kind of mention a few verses here from the beginning and go pretty quick. So if you want them, you may need to be ready to write these down, okay? Okay, resurrection defined. Let me, let me just give you a verse. Acts 13, 34 says this. He raised him from the dead no more to return to corruption. Did you hear that? He raised Jesus from the dead no more to return to corruption. So when I say Jesus rose from the dead, I do not mean that he rose only to die again like others did throughout the scriptures, like Lazarus, right? Lazarus was risen from the tomb he got he got made alive out of that tomb right but then eventually he would go on to die so i don't mean like that jesus's resurrection is unique he was raised never to die again okay this is different let me read a quote to you from wayne grudem about this listen to this he said christ's resurrection was not simply a coming back from the dead as had been experienced by others before such as lazarus for then jesus would have been subject to weakness aging, and eventually would have died again, just as all other human beings died. Rather, when he rose from the dead, Jesus was the first fruits of a new kind of human life, a life in which his body was made perfect, no longer subject to weakness, aging, or death, but able to live eternally. So we're talking about Jesus. When I say he rose from the dead, we're talking about a resurrection in a body that lives eternally. No more death. This is what happened, okay? Now, when I'm saying resurrection from the dead, I want you to get me on this. I don't mean 
life after death. I do not just mean he experienced life after death, but I mean he died and he returned to a physical life forever. Okay, many people right now are experiencing life after death, but only one has experienced resurrection from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's in a body and he lives, it's a perfect body, he lives forever. Okay, this is what I mean. This is unique, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? I don't mean life after death simply. I mean death's reversal. He's in an embodied state after being dead for a time, okay? The resurrection of Jesus. Let me give you a verse. Luke 24, verse 36 through 39. Listen to this. I want you to notice what he's trying to get you to see about the resurrection of Jesus. Listen to this. Luke 24, 36. Now, as they said these things, because the disciples were talking about, yes, this person said they saw Jesus. Now, he's already been crucified and buried, but they saw him walking on earth again. They were talking about these things. As they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. So what did they think? Maybe he's a spirit. Maybe I just saw a spirit, but that's not the resurrection I'm talking about, right? Listen to this. And Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Jesus said this. He says, handle me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So what is he trying to get across to them? Look at me, touch me, handle me. I'm not a spirit. I'm, I'm flesh and bones. The spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Christ was risen in an embodied state that is perfect and lives eternally. Okay, we see this in, in uh, John chapter 20 when, uh, when Jesus, uh, he actually tells, Th Thomas says, I'm not going to believe unless I, I touch the marks on his hands that the nails left. Unless I stick my hand in his side. Well, Jesus actually reveals himself to Thomas and he actually touches those scars on his hand. So that same crucified body of Jesus, that body that was crucified, Jesus' body, that same body, self-same body, rose out of that tomb and is transformed and he lives forever. You get that? When I say resurrection of Christ, this is what I'm talking about. Now, this is a huge deal because in the New Testament, people believed in that New Testament time period, Many people believed, they would have believed in a life after death, but that someone would rise from the dead seemed impossible. That a body would rise from the dead seemed impossible. We see this with the Sadducees in Luke 20. You remember the Sadducees in Luke 20? They came to Jesus. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, and they tried to give a little, uh, little cute parable to tell him that there is no resurrection of the dead, and Jesus set them straight. Okay? Or, if you remember... Uh, Paul goes and he preaches in Acts 17 to the, the, to the pagans, okay? And when he teaches these pagans, these people would have believed in life after death, but whenever he starts preaching on the resurrection, this is what, it, what, it, what they said. They said, when they heard of the resurrection, they mocked him. Okay, this would have seemed impossible. That someone could rise from the dead, they believe in an afterlife, but that someone could rise from the dead and live eternally. So you get my definition here? Resurrection from the dead. Now, right off the bat, I want you to see this, that this is absolutely amazing that he would rise from the dead. Think about this, okay? All the sin of the world and all the wrath and punishment of God is laid on the man, Jesus. And then he rises from the dead. 
What does that mean? All the sin of the world laid on Jesus. Think of the destruction that was brought about by one sin in Genesis 3. A whole race of people plunged into destruction. Disease, death, wickedness. This comes from one sin, and that's laid on Jesus. What do you think that did to his body? What about not just one sin, but every one of your sins? Every one of my sins. That's way more than one. And he took them all unto himself. And what about all the sins of the redeemed put, put on top of Jesus Christ? And he's buried under that. Think about this, okay? He's buried under the tremendous weight of sin which God hates. Think of the horrific effect this has on his body. In Luke 22, it says he's in agony. He's in agony and he's sweating drops of blood. Okay, and three days later, that body comes out of a tomb, comes flying out of a tomb. That's amazing. This shows Jesus's power. John chapter 10, verse 18. Listen to this. Jesus is speaking about his life. And this is what he says. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This shows his power. He sits under the weight of sin and he rises from the dead, the man Christ Jesus. What about all the wrath and punishment of God? Okay, I want you to know this. All the wrath and punishment of God toward sinners came down on Jesus and God the Father did not take it easy on God the Son. He did not ease up on him because he's God, fully God, fully man. He didn't ease up on him. Listen to Matthew 27, 46. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did not ease up on him. And Jesus right there, he's actually quoting from something in the Old Testament, Psalm 22.1. And listen as you finish it in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And the words of my groaning. He didn't get an ounce of help. All the wrath and punishment of God fallen on the man, Christ Jesus. Imagine what was unleashed in that moment on him. Imagine what was unleashed. And three days later, this man comes flying out of the tomb. He rises from the grave. He's exalted forever as the one who faced the almighty wrath of God. And yet he lives. He's alive. Listen to Revelation 1.18. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You've got a definition in your mind? Okay. Now, as you look at your sheet there, you should be at the place where it says Matthew 28, verse 1 through 10. There, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament, they're all accounts of the life of Jesus. Four different accounts, because He really wanted us to see this. He really wanted to emphasize this. And every one of these accounts ends with the account of the resurrection of Jesus, okay? And we're just going to be in Matthew 28, and that account of the resurrection of Jesus, it's going to be like a home base for us, okay? We're going to talk about many things and many verses all over the Bible, but we're going to come back here a lot. Now, after we read verses 1 through 10, we're going to dig into two questions. And two applications, okay? Here's my two questions. You can kind of see this on your sheet here, okay? We're going to read Matthew 28, and here's our two questions. We're going to say, we're going to answer this question. Is the resurrection important? Number one. Number two, why is the resurrection important? Then we're going to get into two applications on this text, on the resurrection of Jesus. One application will be for unbelievers, 
Okay, if you're an unbeliever here, you need to listen to what we're talking about right now. This is a big deal for you. Okay, and we're going to give an application for believers. Believers, unbelievers should know more about this than you do. Okay, so we're about to dig into this. Okay, all right, let's let's uh, Matthew 28 verse one. Let's read it. Read it with me. Okay, this is the account of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I've told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Okay, this is your account in Matthew 28 of the resurrection of Jesus. Let's get into answering our questions, okay? Is the resurrection important? Now I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you three. They're on your sheet. There, I'm going to give you three reasons, three points of why the resurrection of Jesus is of great importance. First one is right here in Matthew 28. Okay, what we're going to read the first four verses tell us who the messenger is that's going to bring the message of the resurrected Jesus. Okay, who's the messenger? Who is the one that God sent to say He's not here? He's risen from the dead. Okay, and this is what we're going to look at. And this is important because if a snot-nosed mailboy shows up with a telegram for you, your news is probably of minor significance. But if that snot-nosed mailboy, he has 20 police cars around him and, and a whole train of armored vehicles, your news is probably of great importance. Okay, so who is it? Who is the one that's bringing the message right here? And I want you to look at it. Look at verse 2. And behold... There was a great earthquake. Why? For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. So what we have here, who's the messenger? He's an earthquake causing angel of the Lord that descended and rolled back that heavy stone and sat down. This is the messenger. Look at the next verse. Verse 3. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing is white as snow. So he's got a face like lightning and his clothes are bright white like snow. So here we have an earthquake causing angel of God with face like lightning shows up to let you know about the resurrected Jesus. Look at the next verse. And the guards, there were many Roman guards, okay? They had been set there to make sure nobody tampered with the body of Jesus. And here they are, the guards, what are they doing? What are these Roman soldiers doing? They shook for fear of him and became like dead men. 
This angel caused these Roman soldiers to shake for fear. So what we have here is an earthquake causing angel of God with face like lightning who causes the strongest men to shiver like little girls. No offense, women. <clears throat> is the resurrection important? Absolutely. Look at this messenger that's sent here. Okay, now let me give you a little side note of parentheses. Okay, how does God announce the resurrection of Jesus? He announces, he announces it with this earth-shattering force. I want to ask you to think about it. Think about how you announce to the lost world about the resurrected Jesus. Do you announce it with earth-shattering force as best you know how? Or is it just tagged on at the end of the gospel? How do you announce it? And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Okay, second reason that it's of great importance. You've got the messenger descent shows that the resurrection of Jesus is, is of extreme importance. And next you've got 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You don't have to flip there. We'll go there later. 1 Corinthians 15 says this though. It's verse 1 through 8. And he says, I want to give you that which is of first importance. He says, this is of first importance. And what is of first importance? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried. So he died for our sins and he was he really died. He was buried. And then it says, and he rose from the dead the third day and he was seen by a bunch of eyewitnesses. He says this is of first importance. And he mentions the resurrection of Jesus. So you cannot ignore this. You can't ignore it. You've got to give much attention to the resurrected Jesus Christ. And I want to warn you, Satan will come against this doctrine and he will minimize it to you. In the same chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 12 in the same chapter, listen, listen to this. Let me read it to you. How can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? This had gotten into the church. Satan will go after this. He will minimize this in your mind. So beware, this is of great importance. Paul even found it needful in 2 Timothy. This is his dying letter to Timothy. Okay, this, is the, this is the letter he's going to write and then he's going to die. And he writes this letter and he finds it needful to remind Timothy of something. And what does he want to remind Timothy of? Listen to 2 Timothy 2.8. Remember, Timothy, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. He says, according to my gospel, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. This is a big deal. Okay, so you've got the messenger this is a big deal, okay? You've got the clear declaration that this is of first importance. This is a big deal. And let me give you my third reason here, okay? Third reason. <clears throat> the gospel preaching throughout the book of Acts, okay? If you read through the book of Acts, okay, and you look at the gospel preaching, have you ever done this before? And if you haven't, I want to encourage you to do this at some point. Have you ever gone through and read the book of Acts, and every time a crowd gathers and the gospel's proclaimed. Have you ever just marked that off and looked at it? What did he say? What did he say? Okay, so you're reading through Acts chapter 1, chapter 2, and then right here, okay, some people gathered around. Peter's about to speak. He starts at this verse, the ends of this verse. What does he say? Okay, you get what I'm saying? Have you ever done that before? I want you to think about this. Jesus rises from the dead. He walks on earth for 40 days. We know this in Acts, from Acts chapter 1. He walks on earth for 40 days. During this time, he's worshipped. He unfolds the scriptures for people. We see this, for example, in Luke 24. Okay. And then he gives a mission trajectory. Okay. He gives them a mission that they're on. And the mission that he tells them that they're on in every gospel is this, is that they should go into all the world and preach the gospel. 
Okay, so this is the mission he sets them on. And then when you get in the book of Acts, that's what gets unfolded is them going into all the world and preaching the gospel. Have you ever marked it off before? Think about it. Mark off, what did they say? What message did they carry? And this is what I want to encourage you. As you do that, here's what I think you'll see. I think you will see a frequency where they, they, they speak, they preach and proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ again and again and again. And I think you'll see an emphasis on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, on Jesus as a resurrected Lord. You're going to see an emphasis of that as you read through Acts. Let me give you a couple examples. Hold your place in Matthew 28 and turn to Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2. The first gospel proclamation in the book of Acts is from Acts 2.22 to verse 36. Acts 2.22 to 36. Now, Peter really starts talking back in verse 14, but he really gets on the gospel of Jesus in verse 22. So verse 22 to verse 36. We're not going to read the whole thing, but I want you to just listen to this, okay? Hear this out. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death. He's preaching the crucified Jesus. Listen to the next verse. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. There he preaches the resurrection of Jesus. Now, as you keep reading through to the end of him speaking, to the end of him, him preaching right here, you're going to notice a major emphasis on the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, he quotes Psalm 16 in the next few verses, and he tells you how Psalm 16 is talking about the resurrection of the Christ. So there's a heavy emphasis in the first gospel proclamation on the resurrected Jesus, on the event of the resurrection and the resurrected Lord of all. There's an emphasis there, okay? Now, do you see that? Now, 3,000 people get saved out of this. And as you keep reading, you've got a second gospel proclamation through Acts and a third and a fourth. I don't want you to flip there because I'm going to go very fast, but I'm just going to mention a few of these two. You can go back and look at later. Listen, the gospel, the second gospel proclamation is in Acts chapter 3, verse 11 through 26. Okay, He's, he proclaims the gospel. And when it gets summarized in chapter 4, verse 2, this is how it summarizes it. He says, they preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So the second gospel proclamation in Acts 3 is summed up as he preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead in Acts 4, 2. Third gospel proclamation is in Acts chapter 4, verse 8 through 12. And this is, a, this is a verse from there. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is there. A summary of what is it the apostles were preaching and a summary of what they preached is found in Acts chapter 4, verse 33, where it says this, with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Over and over again. Acts chapter 5, verse 30, 30 and 32, it's Jesus is preached not only as a crucified Christ, but as the risen Lord of all, okay? The one who rose and exalted to the right hand of God. As the gospel message goes out to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, listen to Acts 1040. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. Again, to the Gentiles, he's pre preaching the resurrected Christ. 
What would Paul preach? We get Paul's preaching in Acts chapter 13. What would Paul preach? Listen to this. Paul says this in Acts 13. God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came with him from Galilee and Jerusalem who are his witnesses to the people. He's risen from the dead and Paul goes on to use the same Old Testament verses to prove the resurrection as Peter did. Acts 17 verse 2 and 3. It says that Paul's custom was to preach not only Christ crucified, but also the resurrected Jesus. In Acts 17, verse 16 through 18, Paul gets stirred up in his spirit because he looks out and he sees idols everywhere in the place where he's at. And it says he's provoked in his spirit because the place is given over to idols in Acts 17, 16. So what he does, is he begins to daily go into the synagogues, go into the marketplaces and preach the gospel with whoever he can find there. Okay. Well, what's the message he's going to bring? What powerful message will he bring to fight against Satan's deceptions and all the idol worship going on? And listen to Acts 17, 18. He says this. He preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. This is important. At the end of Acts 17, he's preaching to these pagan intellectuals. In Acts 17, verse 31, he says, He has given proof of this to all by raising him from the dead. You see a pattern here? You see an emphasis? You see a, a, a frequency of resurrection proclamation? This is one of my favorites. In Acts chapter 25, verse 18 and 19, let me tell you what's going on here. Governor Festus, he's noticed that the Jews who want to kill Paul are having disputes and arguments with Paul. Okay, he's noticed that. So Governor Festus goes to the king and he's explaining what's going on between Paul and these Jews. And listen to what he says. He says, they had certain points of dispute with Paul about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. So, so Paul in Governor Festus' eyes is like this madman going around saying, he dead, he's still alive. He's, 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 he's risen from the dead is what he's preaching. Paul speaks directly to King Agrippa in Acts 26, verse 8, and he says this, Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? This is important. Paul summarizes his message in all his travels in Acts chapter 26, verse 23, by saying this, listen, that the Christ would suffer that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people as well as to the Gentiles. So is the resurrection of Jesus important? Yes, you've got this messenger that comes to proclaim it in Matthew 28. It's of first importance, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and its frequency of their preaching all throughout Acts tells me the resurrection of Jesus is of great importance. Now let me get you to think about something here, okay? Does your gospel preaching look like the gospel preaching that we read about in Acts? Does it look the same way? Do you preach the event of the resurrection? And maybe even a better question would be, do you preach the resurrected Lord Jesus? When you proclaim the gospel and it comes to an end, does Jesus still look like he's crucified or does he look like the resurrected Lord and King and sovereign ruler of all? What does he look like at the end of your gospel proclamation? Now, this is of great importance. You with me? The resurrection of Jesus is very important. Now, let me give you a little side note here. I want to give this kind of, as we talk some about gospel proclamation and resurrection proclamation, let's, let's, let me just say something for a minute that, that was very encouraging or a warning to me. Okay? 
There's a sad and unfortunate neglect of the resurrection of Jesus in our day. You know that, right? Just neglect it. Either it's not necessary for the gospel. It's not even necessary for, for you to be preaching the gospel. You don't even need that. Or it's just not emphasized in our preaching or in our singing. Okay? It's just not emphasized. Now, I want you to think about this. Why? Why is there such a neglect of the resurrection in this culture? And I'll give you two reasons. The first one could be just ignorance of the Scriptures, okay? Just ignorance of what it says about it. Well, praise the Lord. We're all ignorant of the Scriptures until God by His Spirit shows us things. This is easy to fix. You just show it in the Scriptures that it's very important. Don't neglect it. But the second reason is what I want to talk to you about, okay? There is a pervasive man-centeredness in our culture and in the church today. And by man-centeredness, I mean it's just about us, okay? So when we think about Jesus and what He's done, Jesus is just a means, He's just a tool to fix us because we're the important one. It centers in on us, okay? When your gospel, when you, if you think that way, and we all have a tendency to sin like that, when we think that way, that means that we get more concerned with fixing man than we do exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, I think the fruit of that is that you don't preach a resurrected Jesus. You might hold on to the cross. Now, here's what I'm saying to you. Be careful what I'm saying here. I'm not saying throttle back on the cross at all. I'm saying preach a resurrected Jesus, preach a crucified Jesus and a resurrected Jesus. And I'm also not saying the cross doesn't glorify Jesus because it glorifies him greatly. Okay, but there is a twist, a man-centered twist that treats the gospel like the main importance to fix you and me and not to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Like Romans 14, 9 says, To this end, Jesus died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of the living and the dead. Okay? This is about him. Now, when this happens, and think about your culture, when there's a, a pervasive man-centeredness, which results in a resurrection-less gospel, a gospel that doesn't preach a resurrected Jesus, when that's going on, there, there seems to be many, many false converts. People that think they're saved, but they're not. Why? Because Romans 10, 9 says to be saved, it says this, you must confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. The one you're saved by faith in who? In the Lord Jesus Christ, master. Lord means master, the controller, the sovereign ruler of all. And your faith is in him, that one. Not a false Jesus, okay? So what, what are we to do then, okay? If we know there's a man-centeredness and, some, and that shows itself with a resurrectionless gospel, what are we to do? And I want to tell you, don't neglect in your heart the resurrected Jesus. And don't neglect in your preaching the resurrected Jesus. The world does not need a namby-pamby, please accept me, let me be Lord of your life, still hanging on a cross, false Jesus. The world doesn't need that. He needs a risen Lord and Savior who, yes, He died for your sins and He rose from the dead on the third day victorious and He lives forevermore as sovereign ruler of all. Okay, Preach the real Jesus, not a false Jesus. Beware of man-centeredness. Okay, is the resurrection of Jesus important? Now, here's what we're doing. I hope we've answered that. I hope you say, yes, the resurrection is really important. Okay? We're going to go to the next question. Next question is what? Why is the resurrection important? Okay. Why? And we're going to look at two major categories of significance. 
Okay, why is, what's so significant about the resurrection? We're going to look at two major categories. One is evidential significance. And what I mean by that is the evidence, okay? The, the resurrection of Jesus stands as evidence that he is who he says he is. Okay, so we're going to look at that. And then we're going to look at the spiritual significance, which means we're going to get behind the scenes, okay? So you got your account of the resurrection and everything that went down. But when you get behind the scenes into the invisible, into the spiritual realm, what was going on? Okay, the spiritual significance of the resurrection. Okay, so let's begin with the evidential importance of the resurrection, the evidence. Okay, go back with me to Matthew 28. Go back to home base. Okay, back at home base. Here's what I want you to see. The angels, so you got the Roman soldiers over here trembling, scared, right? Scared to death. They're like dead men. And the angel turns and he speaks to these women. He's about to proclaim the resurrected Jesus. And there's two major facts that he wants them to eyewitness. Okay? The angel, there's two major facts that he wants them to be eyewitnesses to. And what are they? One is the empty tomb. Okay? We're going to read that. And the other one is the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. He walked on earth again. People saw him. Okay? So an empty tomb, and they saw Jesus. Post-resurrection, appearance of Jesus. The angel points them to those two things. Okay? So this is what we're going to do. We're going to look into both of those. And those are going to be evidences of Christ really rose from the dead. And then the resurrection is evidence that God, that Jesus is who he said he was. Okay? So that's the direction we're headed. This is extremely important. Okay, these evidences of a resurrected Jesus, they're very important. Okay, I want you to think about this. You say, you say, I believe Jesus is the teacher above everybody else. Why? Why not Muhammad, Buddha? Why not the other teachers, religious teachers all over the world and all throughout history? Why not non-religious teachers? Why do you put Jesus above all? Because every other teacher of anything has died or will die and their body will rot in a grave. But Christ did not. He rose out of the grave, transformed body, and He lives forever and ever and ever as the risen Savior. This is why we believe. Why do you believe this Bible is true? Why not another book? Why not another religious book? Because the the risen one, the resurrected Jesus, the risen one, claimed that this book is the book of God. This is very important to grab hold of this. Okay, nobody can ignore this. Nobody, no, not even unbelievers, you cannot ignore. You've got to do something with the empty tomb and the eyewitnesses that saw it and the post-resurrection appearance of Jesus and the eyewitnesses that saw them. You must do something with this. You cannot ignore it. Let's start with the empty tomb. Look at Matthew 28. We'll read verse 5 and 6, okay? Verse 5 and 6. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. They came back looking for a crucified Jesus. But he ain't there. Verse 6. He is not here. For he is risen. As he said. Come. And listen to what he tells them to do. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. You see what he did? First he points them. He says, come and look at that tomb. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And when they peeked their heads in there, what did they see? No, Jesus. The body was there three days ago. It's not there now. Where's the body of Jesus? They see an empty tomb. As you keep going, look at verse 7. 
and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will what? See him. He says, you're going to see him. Okay, look at the empty tomb. Look at the empty tomb. Now, go to the disciples and go to Galilee because you're going to see Jesus. So you've got empty tomb, post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. He wants them to be eyewitnesses to them both. And you know as you keep reading, as the ladies go to do that, Jesus appears to them. He shows himself and they hit their face and they worship him at his feet. They see the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, okay, so, so the empty tomb here. Come see the place where the Lord lay him. Here's where I want to start. Let's start by saying this, okay? No one in his right mind would say that Jesus did not exist and he did not die on a cross around 33 AD just outside the walls of Jerusalem. Nobody in his right mind said that. That is intellectual suicide all over history. Even non-Christian historians uh, say that this point is true, okay? So this happened. Whether you believe he's God or not, it's intellectual suicide to say he didn't exist or he didn't die on the cross in 33 AD, okay? So let's start there. So that happened, okay? Now, he died a famous death. When you read Luke 24, you remember those two guys on the road to Emmaus? Remember them? They look, okay, they look, they look, and they say this. I got it written out. Luke 24, 18 says, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened there in these days? They couldn't believe somebody would not know about this. He dies a famous death, and listen to this. Everybody knows where he's buried. Pilate knows where he's buried. The Jewish authorities know where he's buried. The, Jesus' disciples, they all know which tomb he went into. Because you remember, as you read Matthew 27, just before this account, Joseph of Arimathea, he goes to Pilate, asks for the body, takes the body, puts it into his own tomb, and it says, listen to Luke 23:55. They observed, they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. They saw it, okay? He dies a famous death, everybody knows and Jesus, before this, many times it said that he was going to rise. He told his disciples over and over again throughout his life, I'm going to be killed and I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to rise from the dead. Even Jesus' enemies knew this. When you read Matthew chapter 27, verse 62 and 63, the enemies, the Jews who killed Jesus, they go to Pilate and they say, hey, Pilate, uh, we know that Jesus told these people he was going to rise from the dead. So even the enemies knew he said, here's what we need to do. We need to get a guard of soldiers and we need to put them around the tomb so that none of his disciples mess with the body of Jesus and try to claim that he rose from the dead. So even his enemies knew and therefore they put guards all around. So I want you to think about this. He dies a famous death. Everybody knows what tomb he's in. And three days later, he ain't there. He's risen. He's not in the tomb anymore, okay? This is ridiculously convincing evidence that Christ Jesus rose from the dead. Think about this. On day two, he dies. And on day two, because which day did he rise on? Third day, right? On day two, the disciples stand up and they go, they try to lie. They say, Jesus rose from the dead. What do the enemies of Jesus have to do at that moment? Roll the stone back, grab the body and go, they're lying. Easy, right? But on day three, why couldn't they do that? Why? All they had to do to crush Christianity from the very beginning was present a body and they couldn't do it. Why? Because he had risen from the dead. And it wasn't a mistake over, uh, well, maybe they got the wrong grave. It was a famous death. Everybody knew where he was buried. You get what I'm saying? The empty tomb is a big deal. 
I'll say this quickly. The only major objection to this, it wasn't to present a body because they could not. The only major objection to this was to say that it was stolen. The body was stolen by the disciples. And that is a ridiculously silly argument. And it's silly because that means all those Roman soldiers would have had to fall asleep in one moment. And then they would have had to stay asleep while the seal was broken, which, by the way, the seal says you mess with the body, our government's going to kill you. And then they'd have to stay asleep while they rolled the heavy stone back, stay asleep while they drugged the body of Jesus out of there, not to mention what motive would they have? Steal the body of Jesus, say he rose and spend the rest of my life suffering for it. What motive would the disciples have? This is a silly argument, and I'll show you where it came from. If you're in Matthew 28, look at verse 11. Verse 11 through 14 shows you where this silly objection has come from that, you know, maybe they just stole the body. Which, by the way, by saying they stole the body, they're admitting that there's an empty tomb. Verse 11. Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all things that had happened. So the guards go to the chief priest and say, angel, we were scared to death. He ain't there. Okay. Verse 12. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. They bribed them. They bribed the soldiers. Saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. Which, by the way, even in their argument, it's ridiculous. Because if they're asleep, how do they know his disciples? Even their argument's messed up. Verse 14. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So, tell everybody, just lie. Tell everybody the disciples stole him. And if Pilate finds out about it, We'll tell them not to kill you, okay? You see where this came from? It's a silly argument. There was an empty tomb. Everybody says they don't believe. What are you going to do with that? You've got to do something with it, okay? Okay, so you've got the empty tomb. You've got the eyewitnesses that saw the empty tomb. And you've got the failure of Christ's opponents to present a body to disprove it, okay? This is great evidence that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. But now... Let's consider that Jesus actually walked on earth for 40 days and was seen by eyewitnesses, okay? Now, we could go a lot of directions here, okay? We could look at the end of every gospel, and you realize that's the emphasis of the end of every gospel. At the end of Matthew, he's saying, they saw him. At the end of Mark, it says he appeared to this person, then he appeared to this person. He's trying to give you the eyewitnesses' accounts, the eyewitness accounts that Christ was indeed risen from the dead and seen, okay? Or we could walk through Acts. We can look at Acts chapter 1, verse 3, where he says uh, that after his suffering, he gave many infallible proofs or unmistakable proofs. And what were they? Being seen by, the, by these people for 40 days. Okay? And all through Acts, that's their message. Those people were going through, as they went through and preached the gospel, they were saying, he rose and we saw him. It was not, they weren't saying, well, our mama just taught us this and we believe it. They were saying, he rose. We saw him with our own eyes. And Christianity exploded after that, okay? So what's going on here? Here's where I want to go, though, okay? To, to show these post-resurrection appearances, go to 1 Corinthians 15. Hold your finger on Matthew 28, home base, and go to 1 Corinthians 15 quickly. <clears throat> okay, I love these verses. If, if I talk longer than... 15 minutes on this. Somebody stop me. This is good. Okay. First Corinthians 15, three, listen. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received that Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried and he, 
that he rose from the dead the third day, according to the scriptures. There it is, the resurrection from the dead. How do we know he rose from the dead? Look at the next line. And that he was seen. Eyewitness saw him. He was seen by who? By Cephas. That's Peter. Anybody says, I don't believe this. Well, what are you going to do about that incredible witness, Peter? He saw him with his own eyes walk on earth again. You realize that? Look at the next one. Then by the 12, not just one person, 12 eyewitnesses saw this. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, a matter is established. You've got 12 here. Eyewitnesses saw him. What are you going to do with that? Okay, look at the next one. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, at one time. Why is he telling them that? He says, look, 500 people saw Jesus walk on earth again after he was crucified and buried. I'm not making this up. I can't trick 500 people into saying this because look at the next line. Of whom the greater part of that 500, the greater part of that 500 remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Why did he tell them that? Why did Paul say, hey, 500 people at one time, I witnessed Jesus walk on earth again. Now, now most of them are still alive. Some of them have died, but most of them are still alive. Why did he tell them that? He's saying, go ask them. Go ask them. I can't trick 500 people. Go ask them. Eyewitnesses saw Christ walk on earth again. He's not done. Look at verse 7. After that, he was seen by James. Then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. So he just gives them a list of eyewitnesses that saw him walk on earth after he rose from the dead. Okay. Now, so here's what we've got. We've got the empty tomb. Okay, and the eyewitnesses that saw this. We've got the resurrection and the resurrected Jesus and the eyewitnesses that saw this. And this is very convincing evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, but why does it matter? Why does all this matter? Because the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is incredible evidence that he is who he said he is. Listen to Romans chapter 1 verse 4, and this is huge. If you're studying resurrection Jesus, this is huge. Listen to Romans 1 4. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus is declared to be the Son of God with power. How? By the resurrection from the dead. He rose from the dead. He is who He said He was. He is who He claimed to be. Listen to Acts 17.31. Acts 17.31 says this, God has fixed a day. Guess what's going to happen on the day? He fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, through a man whom he's ordained. How do we know Jesus is that man? Listen, having furnished proof of this to all by raising him from the dead. Christ rose from the dead. There's eyewitnesses that saw it. They saw an empty tomb. Christ is the son of God. How do we know he's the son of God? Because he rose from the dead. Christ is the one that will judge all people. How do we know that? Because he's the one that rose from the dead. We've got eyewitness accounts to an empty tomb and the, and the appearances of Jesus. So I want you to think about the resurrection of Jesus like this. At Jesus' baptism, God the Father affirmed that Jesus is his son by what? A voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then when he rose from the dead, that's like the final declaration of God the Father. That is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It's like God the Father vindicating the son. At the cross, God the Son vindicated the Father. At the resurrection, God the Father vindicated the son. 
Jesus said at the cross, it's finished. And the resurrection is like God the Father says at the resurrection, yes and amen. Yes and amen. <clears throat> okay, so remember what we're doing here. We're answering this question, why is the resurrection of Jesus important? Why? And we've looked at the evidential significance, the evidential importance. Now we're going to move on to the spiritual significance, and this will go a little quicker, okay? The spiritual significance, you get behind the scenes, okay? You, you, you got the historical account of what happened on that, those days when he rose, and now we're going to get behind the scenes and say, what was going on in the, in the spiritual realm and the invisible, okay? And I've got you a list there of things. I'm just going to say these things quickly. Number one, sin is conquered. It's conquered. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 17. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But reverse that. If Christ is risen and your faith is in him, you are no longer in your sins. Sin is conquered. Jesus took all of our sins onto himself and all the punishment and wrath of God came on him and the resurrection was a declaration from God the Father. I've accepted that sacrifice. Sin is conquered. It's done. Number two, death is defeated. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. Death is swallowed up in victory. That means death has been swallowed up. It's been eaten by what? It's swallowed up in victory. Victory has eaten death through Jesus and His death and His resurrection from the dead. And so guess what we can do now? We can mock death. We can mock it. Look, look at the next line here in 1 Corinthians 15. It says this. He says, Oh death, where's your sting? Oh grave, where's your victory? Death is defeated. Our justification is secured. Our sanctification is secured. Our glorification is secured. What do you mean justification is secured? Romans 4.25 says this. Jesus was delivered up because of our sins and He was raised because of our justification. The moment you put your hope in Christ, the moment you rested in Him, you believed on Him, God declared you righteous. And that will remain forever. You know why? Because Christ rose from the dead. You can have assurance of your salvation now. Listen to Romans 8.34. Who's He who condemns? Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. He's even at the right hand of the throne of God and He makes intercession for us. You can be assured in your salvation because Christ is the risen Savior. Your sanctification is secure. We don't hope in ourselves to sanctify ourselves. We don't hope in ourselves, okay? Our confidence is in the living and risen great high priest who according to Hebrews 7.25, he saves us completely. Those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for us. He's alive. And so your sanctification is secure. Your glorification is secure. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6.14. God broke both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. When you die, you'll leave this body and you'll go meet the Lord. But there's coming a day when your body will be raised up out of the grave. And you'll go to meet the Lord in there and you'll always be with the Lord in a resurrected body. This is glorious. And last one here. And you might wonder why I worded it this way. Last one. One of our own kind is now Lord of all. One of our own kind is Lord of all. Listen to Romans 14, 9. To this end, Christ 
died and rose and lived again. To what end? To what purpose? Listen to what he says. That he might be Lord, master. That's ruler, master, the one who's over all things, okay? He said that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. So someone might say this, wait a minute, I thought Jesus was already Lord of the living and the dead. And he was, but here's the difference. Don't you see this? Don't you see this? That when Christ Jesus came, God, the eternal God came, he took on humanity. He's fully man, fully God. He was not fully man before, but in the incarnation, incarnation, he's fully man now. Fully man, fully God. And when he rose out of the grave, he showed us very clearly that he's still fully man and fully God. He didn't pick up flesh for a short 33-year season and then leave it. He still has it for all eternity. Do you get that? Now a man, one of your own stock, is Lord of all. That's why in Matthew 28, after he rose from the dead, what does he say? All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. I thought he already had all authority. Yeah, but now one of your own stock, he's taken on humanity, and one of your own stock has all authority. He's the risen Lord of all. We sang this song just a moment ago. I want you to listen to it again. There in the ground his body laid. Light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's grip has lost its sin's grip. Sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I'm his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Application. Application. Let me start with the unbeliever. This will go quickly. It's on the back side of your sheet. Application. Unbeliever, if you're here, please listen to me. All, all those who do not know Christ. Consider, this is on your sheet here, consider the convincing evidence of the resurrection and submit to the risen Lord of all. You must consider this. You cannot go any longer without consider this. And you must submit to the risen Lord of all, okay? Okay, consider the convincing evidence of the resurrection. Let me tell you a quick story. I got on an airplane, I don't know, probably five or six years ago. I get on an airplane and I sit across the aisle away from a guy. I know who he was, but I thought in my mind, I want to strike up a conversation with this guy. And he sits down. I don't know how I did it, but we started talking to him. Eventually I asked him, are you a believer? He said, no, I'm an atheist. So this man tells me straight up, He's an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. And I'm just so thankful what God gave me in that moment. I said, have you ever considered the resur- that Jesus was resurrected from the dead and that he was seen by credible eyewitnesses? And he said, no. And I said, and I just got almost emotional. I said, you've already made a decision and you've never considered this? And he, he might have thought I was nuts. I don't know. But I went on. I said, can I show you something, please? I said, I said, just man, what if I could prove that a man rose from the dead? To you? What if I could prove that? I said, would you believe what he said? He said, yeah, probably. I said, all right, 1 Corinthians 15. I just opened up 1 Corinthians 15. We looked at him a minute ago. And I said, look at this. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And I explained that to him. He was buried. And he rose from the dead the third day. And I explained that to him quickly. And I said, look, let me prove it to you. He was seen by Peter. He was seen by Cephas. I said, man, you're saying you don't believe this, but what are you going to do with this credible eyewitness that saw it? He saw it. Even non-Christian historians know that the tomb was empty. 
And I went real, way slower than we went a minute ago. I went even slower. I went to the next one. I said, then he was seen by the twelve. I said, he's seen by these people. What are you going to do with this? You believe other things that eyewitnesses saw. What are you thinking? You've never even thought of this before. And I went on. He was seen by over 500 brethren at once. And I just went down the line really, really slow, just showing him the eyewitness accounts to the resurrection of Jesus after explaining that he had died for him and he risen from the dead. And at the end of it, he looked at me and went, hmm. Yeah, I know. I wish he'd have gave me more. But <laughs> that's what I got. And here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that to say this. He, he could have been very, he never considered this stuff before. That's my point. Okay. He, he would have normally, seems like to me, would have been one that would have fought me on this. And yet nobody had ever shown him this. He never considered these things before. And so if you're an unbeliever here, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. Go farther than, hmm. Okay. You need to consider this evidence and you need to put all your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to me. Not only the event of the resurrection, okay? The disciples didn't go around in Acts just proving that he rose from the dead. They went around proclaiming that he rose from the dead. They didn't just prove it. They just proclaimed it. It says we saw it with our own eyes, okay? So I want to encourage you in this. You must submit to the risen ruler of all. Philippians says that every knee will bow and every single tongue will confess Jesus is Lord, Master, to the glory of God. It will happen. You must submit to the risen Lord now. Because whether you believe Him or not, He is raised and He is a risen sovereign of all. <clears throat> when Peter preached the resurrection in Acts chapter 2, here's was the, this was the unbeliever's response. Acts chapter 2. Okay, you don't have to flip there. The unbelievers responded like this to the preaching of the resurrection. They said they were cut to the heart. And after they were cut to the heart, they said, what must we do? What should we do? And maybe there's some of you here that are like that. Maybe you're cut to the heart of these things. You're thinking, what do I do? What do I do? I don't I never believed in him, but what do I do? And I'm going to give you the same thing that Peter said. Peter said this. He said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Christ for the remission of sins. Okay, believers, application for you and we're done. Application for you, listen to this. Turn with me, Ephesians. We're, we're out of the home base now. Ephesians chapter 1. Just turn with me there. Okay. Please, believers, grab hold of this, okay? This is for you. This is for you who've been born again. Your faith's in Christ. This is for you, okay? This is an application of the resurrected Jesus for you, okay? Listen to Ephesians 1.19. You can read it with me. And it's kind of in the middle of a sentence, so let me tell you this. This is Paul praying for the Ephesian believers. You're like, yeah, I know. You've told me this many times. But I'm telling you again. Ephesians 1.19, listen. This is Paul praying for the Ephesian believers. And look at what he says. This is for you. And what is the... He, he wants you to know what? He wants you to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Do you realize you have resurrection power working towards you who believe? He says it right there. I just want you to understand that the resurrection power of Jesus, power, exceedingly great power, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead works towards you who believe. Believe that. Grab hold of it. Pray it. Ask God to make it known in your life. Okay, this is for every believer. 
Now, I want you to think about this. As you go through Ephesians, okay? When you get to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, flip over there. Philippians 3, 20. What can this power accomplish? What can this power accomplish, believers? What can it accomplish? 3.20 says this. Now to him who is able to do, what can it accomplish? Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. The resurrection power works in us and according to that power that works in us, God will do. He can accomplish exceedingly, abundantly more than you can even think to ask. That's for you, believers. It's right there. Grab hold to it. Now here's the thing. You say, this power is more, it can accomplish more than we can even think or ask, okay? That's what you think about. You say, but it's helpful sometimes, right, to get something. Like, let me get something. Like, uh, I need something to teach me what kind of power this is that works toward me. I've already given you the resurrection of Jesus. Let me give you another little tidbit here, okay? Matthew 27. So I forgot we was going back there. Matthew 27. Almost there. I want you to let this first, Okay. We're going to look at Matthew 27, verse 51 and 52 and 53. Now you read all the commentaries on these verses and nobody knows what to do with them. So here I am trying to do something. All right. Nobody knows what to do with them. But I'm going to give you something here. Okay. Verse 51. This is after Jesus breathed his last. He yielded up his spirit. And verse 51 says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked. And rocks were split and graves were open. Did you hear that? Did you know that happened when Jesus died? Earthquake. Rocks start splitting. Graves start opening. Keep reading. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went to the holy city and appeared to many. Okay. So what just happened when you read that? Christ dies. Rock split, earthquake, rock split, graves open. They stay open for three days and it says after his resurrection, bodies come out of those graves. It's amazing, right? Here's what I want to do with that verse. I want to tell you this. I think this shows the resurrection power of Jesus. And I ought to give you just a little glimpse of what God, the power that God works towards you who believe. Why do you say that? Here's a picture I have in my mind. I stand on the side of the interstate and a big diesel truck comes by. Or let's say first maybe a moped comes by, you know, pyong. It don't do anything to you. Big diesel comes by, woof. What does it kind of do? Pulls you in a little bit, right? Well, that's what I think about these verses. This is like suck people out of a grave power. After his resurrection, people come out of graves, walk on earth again, go in and talk to people in Jerusalem. And I'm convinced they eventually died again. But you get what I'm saying? This is the power that works towards you who believe. Now, where does that live itself out? You can go read Romans 6 on your own. Romans chapter 6 says that because Christ rose from the dead and you're united to Him, He says, therefore, put to death sin in your mortal body. Put sin to death. You've got the power, the resurrection power of Jesus working towards you to kill sin in your life. And let me give you one more slight direction. And as we pray, I pray that some of these things will come up in our prayers. Make disciples of all the nations. When Jesus rose from the dead, He walked on earth for 40 days. How many things do you think He taught them in the Scriptures? It says He went from, from Moses all the way to the last prophet, showing them the things in the Scriptures concerning Himself. He taught them a lot in the Scriptures over that 40-day time period. And yet in every gospel, what, do we, what, do we, what does He mainly focus in on? What does He zero in on? 
Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Mark 16, go in all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Luke 24, repentance and remission of sins should be preached in my name to all nations. <clears throat> and then the Holy Spirit will come. <laughs> you with me on this? That power, resurrection power of Jesus is in us who believe to live this out. Okay? To live out, make disciples of all nations.